Um, we're, we're in week three of our series uh, that we have called Kingdom Come. Because when Jesus taught us to pray, he, he said this, he says, pray this way, and, and you guys can join me in this. This will be up on the screen, so you can just join me with the part that you probably already know where Jesus said, here's how to pray. He says, pray our Father in heaven. Okay, this was the part where you're supposed to jump in there, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And because Jesus told us to pray this way, we are believing that it can actually happen. We, we believe that the kingdom up there can actually come down here. That, that we can have what is happening in heaven be the reality for the way that we live and all that we do. So we aren't just wanting or waiting for heaven someday what we're hoping for is that God will allow his kingdom to come here, that his will will be done, that his values and character are reflected in what happens here today. That's what we're after. So we want his kingdom to come, and we believe that that's possible. We're learning, though, that the kingdom of heaven is nothing like the kingdoms of the world and what they set up, and in fact, that it's often an upside down and backwards from the way that the world operates. And so there's tension in that for us who follow Jesus. Last week, we started with the K in the kingdom, because that's what we're, we're just kind of going through that acrostic. And last week, we started with the K in kingdom, which stood for a king on a cross, and that's foundational. It's the foundational truth for all that happens in the kingdom is that we actually had a king who said he was going to leave his throne in heaven, come down here, and allow himself to be crucified. And he died and shed his blood on our behalf. And in what other kingdom does that happen? The kingdom of God is this incredible place where the king has come. And the king suffered the cross so that we could be free. And in fact, most worldly kingdoms... Uh, they keep the common people away, right? They keep the common people away from the king. Uh, common people don't just have easy access oftentimes to the king, um, but we do in his kingdom. I mean, when you think about it, think about, I mean, it, it, try getting close to the president, right? I mean, you'll find out really, really quickly how, uh, how quickly they will separate you and tell you where you do and don't belong, Right? I mean, in the kingdoms of the world, leaders are protected from the, from the rest of us, right? And, and in the rest of the world, uh, the king kind of sits in his place and you have your place. But in God's kingdom, he is saying, no, I, I want you to come. Not only will the kingdom come, he wants us to come and participate in the kingdom. In fact, the kingdoms of the world are, are oftentimes places where we feel unwelcomed, where there's a big keep out sign. Right? Where it's like, you, you, you don't belong here. And so this week I was thinking about that, and I, I looked up, a I found a bunch of signs that many of us have seen, some of us are used to. I mean, the most simple one is this sign, right? Just keep out. No trespassing, right? Which just tells you you don't belong there, right? And, and so, uh, it, or it could be a little more subtle, like this one. Please go away. I don't care, right? Um, or... Maybe, uh, you know, this is one we would have hung out at the ranch. Um, if you can read this, um, you're in range, right? That not, not real welcoming, right? Okay, it just kind of says, hey, you, you don't really belong here. Now, um, there, there's this thing going on in, in our country. I just heard this uh, last time that for one of the first times ever, there's 
definitely more people leaving California than coming in. Um, and, but, but then this is what's happening um, out there. Um, go back to California. We don't want you here. Um, this was actually given to somebody who um, moved to Idaho. Okay? Because we got all these people moving to all these other places, right? And I know... I know it might be easier to move there. It might be easier to go to places like Texas. They're great places and all, but we need you here because this is a great mission field, right? I mean, I mean where else are things this messed up, right? And so we, we need lots of good Christians to stay put and fight the good fight and to make sure that our faith, you know, takes hold here, right? So, um, but I just wanted to get you all riled up this morning, really, so... Um, but, but okay, so my favorite, my favorite sign is this one. No soliciting. We are too broke to buy anything. We know who we are voting for. We have found Jesus. Seriously, unless you are selling Thin Mints, please go away, right? Because, you know, some people are welcome, right? Girls, the Thin Mints are, are welcome here. So, um, but, um, and then maybe some of you, may, maybe you've seen um, this sign before and really felt it. Um, private club members only, and I love this, membership closed. In other words, even if you could qualify, not, you, you can't get in, right? And, and there's a lot of life where we feel this way. There's a lot of life that just says, nope, you don't belong here. No, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. You, one of the places that I felt this probably the most and the most recently, um, and, and some of you maybe have felt this um, with me before, is like uh, a lot of times when I travel, like especially if you're flying, right? If you're flying, you, you get on the airplane, right? And, and they make you walk through what? First class, right? Now, why do they do that? Why do they make you walk through there? Just so that you can see what you don't have, right? Just so, they, you, just so you know you don't measure up. And then they throw this sign up here, right? And um, the worst place on an airplane Okay, the worst seat in the airplane is the first row of economy class, right? Because, and I've seen this, I just saw this recently, where as soon as the plane gets up in the air, it starts to level out, the stewardesses get up, and they, and they come and they grab this little curtain, and it's almost with a little extra sense of flair that they fling that curtain closed, right? To kind of remind you that you, you don't belong up there in first class, right? But you can hear the clanking of the china and the silverware and the you know, champagne glasses and all the stuff, right? But it's just like, no, 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 you, you stay back there, right? And, and you kind of feel like this, like, oh, I'm not worthy, right, or whatever. There's a lot of the world, and I know it sounds kind of funny, but the reality is there's been other places that most of us before in our life have felt this place where we're like, where we don't feel worthy, we don't feel included, we don't feel accepted, right? And we all know that feeling and how bad that feels. Maybe it was at a place where, you know, you, you tried out for a team and you didn't make it, and you thought, oh, man, you know, like, I mean, I've felt that before. Maybe, you know, remember the, the horrible thing when we're kids and you're picking teams and, you know, the torture of what happens if you're picked last, right? You're just like, oh, we know that pain. You know, maybe you tried out for a, a play or whatever else, and you, just, you know that it feels bad, right? And, and you know, and, and, and then we, on top of that, we already speak to ourselves that like, you know, the, the average human speaks somewhere around 200 to 250 words like a minute, you know, that we speak. But do you know that you think to yourself at like a thousand words a minute? I, and, and most of those thoughts, we're already down on ourselves, right? 
And, and then it gets fed over and over again with stuff in the world that just says, hey, you don't measure up. You're not welcome. You don't belong here. And all of us know that feeling. But the good news is, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is not inviting you to some kind of social club. He's not inviting you to a t sports team or a, you know, a t or a clique or a something like that. He's inviting you into his kingdom where he is king and he's inviting you to be with him. And what he's saying is this, in the kingdom of God, everyone is welcome. Everyone's in, right? Everyone can come in. You have the opportunity. You are invited. And you just need to choose, will you enter in? Jesus isn't calling us to be religious. He's calling us to follow him, to be with him, to be part of a movement that we believe, that he believes will change the world. And he wants to do that through us. And he's inviting you to participate in his kingdom. He's not inviting you to just come like sit in the kingdom. I, we have this weird picture. I have so many people that I talk to that have this bizarre picture of heaven. They think that heaven's going to be something like, you know, you're just going to sit around on, you know, maybe in little, like, on little pillows and people are going to feed you grapes all the time and whatever else. I'm just like, that. no, that, I mean, heaven, heaven is going to be this amazing place where you're going to participate with God in whatever he's up to, which is usually great, right? And, and so the realities are that God has invited you in the here and now to participate with him. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying, I want you to come in. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, he, he's throwing his arms right open saying, I, I would love for you to come. I would love for you to join because he died for all of us. Everybody is welcome. But what we've been learning in this series is that the kingdom of God is completely counterculture, countercultural. It's completely counterintuitive. But, but there's something inside of all of us that truly longs for what the kingdom of God represents and what it's all about. It, because, it, it, because it's a place that we all kind of long for, right? There's things that we would all agree on. I mean, it's a place where there's no more racism. There's no more prejudice. Where, where, where people don't go to bed hungry, where there's no disease, cancer is gone. There's no abuse, no abandonment, no addiction, no crime. There's no exploitation, there's no harassment or bullying. And in the kingdom of God, because we have an incredible king, and he is the king, and he is seated on the throne, and he doesn't need anyone to put him there, he's just there because of by nature who he is, and because of that wonderful thing, there are no more politicians or elections. Can I get an amen? Right? He's not elected to his seat. Okay? He is there because he is God. And so in his kingdom, he invites us though, to participate with him. And wouldn't you like a bit of that kind of kingdom right now? I mean, Jesus says that while these things will come to their full fruition and we'll experience them fully when we get to heaven, we can experience the blessings and benefits of the kingdom now. But Jesus tells us that much of the time, the way that we directly help those things happen is directly opposite of the way that the world tells us to operate. And so we find ourselves swimming upstream. We find ourselves swimming against the current of the world. But that's the way that we experience the greatness and the goodness of the kingdom of God is oftentimes we have to go against what normal world operating procedures are and say, no, we're going to go with the kingdom. And now today, well, last week we talked about the K. Today we're going to tackle the letter I in kingdom, which stands for inclusive. 
And it carries with it this idea that everyone is welcome, that everyone has access, everyone is invited. Okay? Now, it's a big word, inclusion, and it means different things sometimes to different people. I get that. So uh, what it does not mean, what inclusion does not mean is this. It does not mean we will always agree on everything. Okay? It just means that we learn to love each other despite the places where we might not see things eye to eye. Um, what it does not mean is it does not mean that we will never experience or will avoid conflict. Those things happen, okay? Um, and, and until we're fully in heaven where God is just ruling and reigning completely, th there will be times when there, where there is conflict. And we can't just avoid it. We can't sweep it under the rug. But we also have to learn how to live in a way that resolves and we work through conflict together and we still love one another. Um, it does not mean, okay, inclusion does not mean that we, do, that we fail to call something sin that God says will not be tolerated in his kingdom, okay? His rules, okay? He rules and we follow his rules, right? And so it says we're following him. And the way that we do that has to be done in love. We must speak the truth in love, but we have to obey his rules. He is the one that is king. And so we need to understand that. So what does it mean? It does mean that we recognize that God's grace, his forgiveness, and his love are available to the vilest of sinners, and that means that everyone is welcome, even we're included. Okay? And so that's what it means, is that everybody has access to the Father. That's what Jesus died on the cross for. And for everyone who has ever felt excluded, unwelcomed, everyone who's ever thought that they don't measure up, they don't know enough, they, th they think they've sinned too much, you have no idea how many people I've talked to before that says, well, I can't really walk into church, man. I, I just have too much sin in my life. You know, if I walk in there, the roof's going to fall down or whatever else. And I'm just here today to tell you, no, there have been worse sinners that have walked in here than you, okay? And, and, and the building is still standing because God, God is the one who holds us up. And so for all of you, the person who thinks that your political views, your gender, your rap sheet, your divorce, your, that these are not keep out signs for you. That this message and this series really are for you because Jesus reminds us, once again, that everybody's welcome. Jesus' death on the cross literally flung the doors of salvation wide open. To fulfill the promise, we talked about this last week, the promise that God had made to Abraham. And, and the chief of those promises was that through him and through his descendants, when the Messiah would come, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed and everyone would be welcome. That forgiveness and salvation would be available to all. And that was, that was incredibly countercultural when Jesus walked into the world. Right? I mean, when Jesus walked into the world as, as a Jewish man as, and as our Messiah, he came and, and um, the Israel was experiencing um, uh, some, some great things. And they had this great temple that they would go and worship in. At, at the height of its, of its kingdom, okay, the kingdom of Israel, at its very peak, probably around a thousand years before Jesus, during the reign of King David, someone that many of you have probably heard about before, right? And David was this incredible warrior. He was the man after God's own heart. He, he, I mean, he just expanded the territory. He took the land that was promised to them and then some, and he expanded uh, the kingdom of Israel. There was economic blessing. There was all kind. I mean, it was just an amazing place to live under the rule of King David, right? 
Now, David, um, up until that time, since the time that the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, um, God had been traveling with them, you know, in the Ark of the Covenant, right? And um, if, if you don't know what that is, think Indiana Jones, right? So um, uh, that was really God's thing, okay? And so, uh, and, and it traveled around, and they, they had this place called the Tabernacle, okay? Think big tent, right? They had this big tent, and in the big tent, they would put the Ark of the Covenant, and that was where the presence of God was, right? Now, now that they had established this great kingdom, they had taken Jerusalem, and, and, and they, what was happening now is David was like, okay, we're going to have a permanent home, for the Lord, we want to build this temple. And so David goes to God and says, God, we love you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Man, you bless us so much. Now we want to build a temple to you, for you, right? A place that we can just come and to worship. And, and David's like all excited about this. And, you know, he's written all the Psalms and he's ready to go and everything. And, and he says, God, we want to build a temple. And God says, well, David, that's a great idea, but you're not the guy, Right? says, because you're a warrior, because you've spilt so much blood, that you aren't going to be the one. But he's like, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying no, not, not the right time, not you. Your son, Solomon, will build the temple. And so David does everything he can to kind of prepare the place. He collects all the stuff to build the temple. He's doing all the stuff, making it ready. And then his son Solomon eventually builds the temple. And the temple was this amazing, amazing place. We have a picture what the temple, at least what we think the temple um, looked like. And um, some of us got to go to Israel last year and we saw the place and we saw the temple mount and all those kinds of things. It's an amazing, amazing place, right? It was one of the most majestic places on earth at, at, at the time. And so you've got Solomon and they start, to do, they start to worship in the temple, but then something goes awry, right? The people... Okay? And this often happens when you know, you're experiencing all kinds of economic greatness and because Solomon just keeps ramping the level up. Solomon, one of the richest and we know the wisest people on earth. And so the kingdom, there's all this blessing coming. But then right after him, in the heyday of the kingdom, things start to fall apart. The kingdom gets divided. The people start worshiping false gods. All kinds of things happen. And God continues to send prophet after prophet after prophet to tell the people, hey, remember like, I, I, want, I am with you, but you can't behave this way, right? So God doesn't say, like, inclusion doesn't mean there's no standards, right? It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. God says, hey, you can't do these things. You can't worship these other gods. And the people keep doing it. And so eventually what God does is he, he, he basically lets Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in about 585 or so B.C., allows King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come in and to totally wipe out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, like literally just ransack this place, pull it apart, knock it to the ground. And, and then he takes a lot of the, um, you know, especially the upper class people of Jerusalem and he takes them away to Babylon. Okay. And that's where we have the story of Daniel and all that stuff. And then about 50 years after that, um, Nebuchadnezzar gets thrown over and King Cyrus of the Persians, he says, he, he pronounces this edict that they're allowed, people are allowed to go back and rebuild the temple. So this guy named Zerubbabel, okay, everybody say Zerubbabel just because it's fun. Um, so, and Zerubbabel takes about 40,000 people. They go back to Israel. They rebuild the temple. But the temple at that time wasn't like, it wasn't as nice as the first temple, okay? And so uh, then after that, if you're a Bible history person, you know, then the Nehemiah comes and they build a wall around the city of Jerusalem and things like that. And then, and then uh, as it approaches time for Jesus, about 10 years before Jesus comes, King Herod, okay, 
Herod, and Herod was an Idumean, I mean, he's part Jew, but not fully Jewish, um, and the, peop- the Jewish people just didn't like him, but in order to win favor with the Jewish people, what he did was he did a total home makeover of the temple, right? Um, and so he like brought in all these people, he expanded the um, foundations of the whole temple grounds, um, and he built this thing up to make it as great as it had ever been or better. And so this is kind of what it looked like there. It's got these huge walls and stuff and these big colonnades around it. But even though you have this great place to worship God, it also represented absolute segregation, okay? I mean, it divided people like you can't believe because there were only certain people allowed, right? Now, I mean, part of the Old Testament was God had his chosen people, and he's just, but God starts to do something incredible at the time of Jesus. Now, when Jesus arrived here, this is what the temple looked like, had these great courtyards, but the two big courtyards, the big open places on it, these were called the court of the Gentiles. This is where people like you and me could go, except for a few of you. There's a few of you in this room who have Jewish ancestry who you might be allowed in. The rest of us weren't allowed in. In fact, you can see there's these little teeny lines on the sides just outside of the walls that are surrounding the actual temple itself. And they have these things called balstads. They were like these little pillars that went up and kind of a chain that went through it and stuff like that. And on there, there was these stones. There were these warning stones. Here's an example of one of those. And these warning stones were placed all around that to tell the Gentiles, hey, That's as far as you go. In fact, the inscription on these stones says this. No stranger or Gentile is allowed to enter within the balustrade around the temple temple enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. Okay? I mean, it basically said, that's as far as you go. You step inside, you die. Right? Not a super inclusive place. Right? It's like only certain people can go in. Now, but the separation was even, went even further. Just inside of the temple grounds, there was this one court here called the women's court, right? The, it, the women were allowed to go there, right? That's where they could go. And there's this little spot inside there where there's this little uh, gate that opens up. And the women would crowd around when the time for the, you know, when the people were in there sacrificing stuff. Because they might be able to look through when they open the gates. And they would kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of the temple, Right, And so even today when you go back, like I said, some of us got to go there this last year. When you go to um, Israel now, even at the Western Wall, there's a place for the men and there's a place for the women. There's still the separation that they have there. But this was as far as the women could go. Now, if you were a Jewish man, you could bring your offering in. You could walk through those other gates and you could go into the, the men's court, right? So just inside there, you could walk in, you could take your sacrifice, give it to the priest. And then right up next to the temple steps where you have the altar and you had the other stuff, that's where the priests were. And the priest court was a spot right around there, right up. I mean, it, even if you were a man, you did not dare step on the steps of the temple, okay, for fear that you would just be killed. So there was this place. Now, so you've got all these places and it just kind of, the, the, it just like sign after sign after sign of like only certain people can go here. Only certain people can go here. Only certain people can go here. And then it goes even further because inside the temple, right? Inside of the temple, there were two basic main chambers. There was the one right inside the doors. It was called the holy place, right? 
He had all these artifacts. You had the temple, the, the, the big um, menorah thing. It had the, the candelabra. Then you had the table that had the showbread. You had all these things that were inside the holy place. And the priests would do their work in there. The priests would bring in the incense and the, what we would think of as communion bread, but it was kind of supposed to be more like the man in the wilderness. They would bring in stuff in the temple to do the work of the temple. Um, they would all make sure that the candles, uh, the, you know, the oil was always in the lamp, so the, candle, the lamp was always going and all these things, and that's what the priests would do. But then there was one more place in there, okay? Now, and you have to remember, out of all the 12 tribes of Israel, there's only one tribe that were allowed to be priests, and only priests in good standing, and that's a whole other sermon, were allowed to go into that holy place. Then there was one more spot. There was this curtain that hung inside the temple, and it was 30 feet tall, okay, and probably 40 feet wide, and it said it was the, it was the thickness of a man's hand. So it was somewhere like four to six inches thick, this woven, um, humongous curtain, okay, or veil, and it separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies is where they put the Ark of the Covenant. And only one priest, one day a year, was allowed to enter that spot, right? And when he was allowed to enter that spot, they would tie a rope around his ankle, put a bell on him so that they could hear him moving around in there. If the bell stopped, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they just kind of tugged on the rope a little bit and he was like, no, I'm still alive in here, right? But they thought, hey, because if he fell down dead, because they thought, they, they literally thought sometimes like, especially if you still had sin in your life or something, man, you go in there, you stand in the presence of God, you would just drop dead. They thought, okay, if he drops dead, at least we can pull him out by the rope because nobody can go in there. Okay, just one guy, one time a year. So think about it. The, the, the whole thing just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and only certain people are allowed in. And only specific people are allowed into the presence of God. Then Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes on the scene, okay, this is not a very inclusive place. But Jesus flips the old way of exclusivity and separation completely on its head. Jesus gets in trouble with all the religious leaders over and over again because Jesus doesn't play by that set of rules, okay? Jesus associates with the outsiders. Jesus associates with the outcasts. Jesus chooses 12 uneducated, undesirable people to be his closest followers. If you go and you read it, it's really almost hysterical. Jesus picks some fishermen, okay, who were at home working in their father's business. Why? Because they probably flunked out of Hebrew school, okay? I mean, literally, that's probably why they were home doing that. If they would have been really good in Hebrew school, they would have gone on to rabbinic school and things like that. But no, they're home doing their father's business, right? And fishermen, about as low as you could get on the totem pole, okay? Right down there with the shepherds, right? Um, tax collector, okay? Matthew, the tax collector, who we'll talk about in just a few minutes, okay? This guy was not just, I mean, he was a traitor, this guy, everybody hated tax collectors. Tax collectors, right? I mean, you, they never made it on the list of, of your parties, okay? They, they were just people, everybody despised the tax collectors. And then, to top it all off, Jesus, on his, like, main group, his main circle, he had a Middle Eastern terrorist, right? I mean, literally, go read your Bibles. I mean, there's a guy named Simon the Zealot, 
Do you know what zealots did? Zealots ran around and they killed people who weren't like them, okay, who they disagreed with politically. That's what they did. That's why they were part of the zealot group, right? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, that guy? Yeah, I'm picking him. It's like our friend, the assassin guy from Cambodia, right? It's like, well, yeah, we're going to pick that guy, right? Jesus surrounds, him, surrounds himself with all the people that most of the other people would never have picked. Right, And Jesus continues to flip this whole thing completely on its head. And so when Jesus, now, I share all that with you to, to, to share with you one incredible point that happened when, when Jesus was here and when Jesus died. Because last week we talked about how Jesus sacrificed, how Jesus' blood was the thing that brings us salvation, right? That helps, that, that, it, that God was both just and the justifier. And we talked about that last week. Well, the incredible thing that happened at the very moment that Jesus died, okay, when Jesus died on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51, it says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and verse 51 says this, at that moment, okay, at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. That four-inch thick veil, okay, that separated, okay, everybody from the presence of God. It's as if God reached down himself, because, I mean, think about it, four inches thick, okay? It wasn't like people grabbed the two sides of it and tried to pull on or anything else. Uh, what, what happened was, it's literally that God had to come from the top and literally rip that thing in half as if to say and if to proclaim, no more separation, no more keep out, everyone has access, everyone is welcome. And that's what God proclaimed in Jesus' death. The Apostle Paul, he was one of the people who were really good at keeping other people out, right? When you think about it, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was the guy that went around killing Christians, Right? And early on in this Christian people who were following Jesus, he was like making sure that they weren't included and stuff. He he was like, you know, making sure that they, they got arrested, that they got killed and all this stuff. He was like one of the worst of the worst until God decided to include him. Right? And God reaches out and God's looking around going, Let's see, let's see. Yeah, let's let oh, the guy that's killing all the Christians. Yeah, let's get him. Right? And God chooses the most unlikely individual and says, Yeah, I'm gonna use that guy. And he picks him, and through this miraculous conversion, Saul comes to faith in Jesus Christ, right? And, and he becomes one of, the, he, one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. He single-handedly was the guy that took Christianity out from that Jerusalem area and went towards into uh, Asia and Turkey and everything else. You go there, it's amazing. And, and, and it was just uh, and a huge chunk of our New Testament was written by Paul. And in fact, in one of the passages where Paul reminds us about this whole idea that everyone is welcome comes in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to spend a couple minutes kind of just unpacking that. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and tw through 28, um, the Apostle Paul writes this. He writes, so in Christ Jesus, you are, say the word. Okay, yeah, this is like participation, okay. So, so in Christ Jesus, you are. What's all mean? It means everybody, right? All children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, right? So in the kingdom of God, okay, 
all the people who are children of God, all of them who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, he says, in the kingdom of God, there is neither, and he starts out this way, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, now remember back to the temple, there was the Gentile courts, and then there was a place of Jewish. Jesus is saying, no, 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 we're wiping all that away. Okay, that no longer does ethnicity divide us. That there is no room for that. That in the kingdom of God, racism has no place at all. That skin color, nationality, and language are not there to divide. In heaven, there will be people from every tribe, every nation, and every language. Remember, Jesus said, go into all the world. Okay? And, and, and when we get to heaven, there are going to be a lot of people who are not like you. Right? Because they're going to be from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Ethnicity, language, there are no barriers like that in the kingdom of God. None. And so if we want to see the kingdom of heaven come now, that means that we who are part of his kingdom now, that the only blindness in the kingdom of heaven is color blindness. That we, we don't see those differences in the kingdom of God. That we are all accepting to one another. I mean, Jesus sent us into all the nations of the earth. And so, folks, here's the thing. Do not be afraid of things that are unfamiliar, people who are different. Stop, and don't let those stop you from loving God's people and the people that God created around the world. One of the things that I absolutely love about the incredible privilege and opportunity for us to go to other places, okay? And again, I just got to experience that, and is that you can, you can go somewhere way far away from here, okay? Walk into a, a, a place that is very, very different from anything we ever experienced with people who don't look like us, talk like us, or, or eat like us, or anything else, and you can walk into their homes, into their places of worship, and they will throw their arms wide open, and they will just say, you are my brother in Christ. And they will embrace you. And, and in this last trip that we had to Cambodia, man, I, I was just reminded once again of the absolute importance of just going and literally hugging somebody, touching somebody, and saying, you are my brother, you are my sister. I may not know you, I can't talk to you, but I love you. And you know what's amazing to me? Is those folks, they will give you everything they have because of their love for you, because your Jesus is their Jesus. And, and, and folks, I gotta tell you, some of you, <clears throat> some of you are afraid to experience that. And I gotta tell you, there is nothing better. And, and, and if you're afraid of experiencing that, I would say you gotta go. You, you have to experience that. Because number one, here's the deal. There will be part of that that is exactly what's gonna happen in heaven. Now, I think in God's miraculous way, we'll probably all speak the same language, don't know what that will be, okay? Um, but you know what? There's gonna be people from everywhere, and we, gotta, we, we need to learn to get along now, right? Because we're gonna spend eternity together. And I would encourage you, if you can, to, to, because there's nothing that feels like that, 
where you are absolutely, you have this connection that you can't get any other place in any other way than to just be in a place where the only thing that absolutely connects you is Jesus. And that, my friends, is absolutely amazing. And that's what God is calling us to do. Because in his kingdom, that's the reality. Okay? And, and in, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, um, and if you have time this afternoon, go read all of Ephesians 2. It's just an amazing passage because it kind of explains this further. And it talks about this difference where there used to be Jews and Gentiles and there was this war between them. And it says God broke down this dividing wall of hostility between them. And in verse 19 of Ephesians 2, it says, Consequently, okay, Consequently, the consequences of Jesus dying for all of us. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Okay? So, I mean, I love that we get to do this. I love that we get to be involved. But you know what, folks? Don't just think, oh, we'll just send stuff. We'll just send checks. Or we'll just let Pastor Ken and a couple others go. Okay? Find ways to engage. We, get, we have a trip to Mexico coming up. Man, I, it, God might be just kind of like, you know, putting the squeeze on you this morning. And, and you know what? If so, then you need to go, right? But it's a great opportunity, and everyone is welcome. So he says, so there's neither Jew nor Gentile, so ethnicity no longer matters. Then he says, neither slave nor free. What he's saying is his socioeconomic standing no longer matters, right? Doesn't matter who you are, what you got doesn't matter if you're the boss at the company or you work for somebody, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and then um, just to save time, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus is walking along and he comes up to Matthew, the tax collector, right? And Matthew's sitting in his tax collecting booth and um, uh, it says that Jesus saw him, which that in and of itself is huge because a rabbi in Jesus' day would not see a tax collector. Okay, you know how? If, if, if they knew that the tax collector's booth was over there, they would literally turn their backs and walk by with them behind them so that they didn't have to look at them. That's how much they despise tax collectors. So the fact that Jesus not only saw Matthew, but engages Matthew in conversation and walks up to Matthew and says, hey, follow me. Okay? I mean, the, the sign of inclusion in that is absolutely mind-blowing. Okay? And you have to know that the, the, the apostles, okay, Jesus' other followers were like, whoa, Jesus, like, chill out. Jesus, don't, like, no, 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 no. We don't associate with those guys, Jesus. Right? And you know how we know this? This is crazy. So when Matthew gets accepted in, right, Matthew's so excited with his newfound inclusion with Jesus that he throws a party. And who does he invite? All of his friends. He invites all of his friends over so he can introduce them to Jesus. Hey, we got this rabbi guy, and, he's, and, and he asked me to follow him, and I'm leaving my business, and I'm going to follow Jesus. So y'all come over and have a party, and they're having a party. And it actually tells us, okay, now you can read this. It's in a couple of the Gospels. Uh, I'll let you search it out. But the, the, the disciples are outside. I love this part because the disciples are like outside and I could just see them like peeking in the window going, what's Jesus, like, what's Jesus doing in there? 
And then, you know, probably Andrew came up and says, yeah, my mom told me never to go into one of these places. Like, I can't hang out with these people, right? Like, what's Jesus actually doing in there? When's he going to come out? Like, uh, Jesus is crazy, right? And then the religious leaders come up to the apostles, and they're like, they're like you know, you can just see them putting their hands on their hips and going like, what's up with your, what's up with your rabbi? What kind of rabbi? He's in there hanging out with those people, right? With the sinners and the tax collectors. Like, what's up with Jesus, Right? And Jesus comes out and says, you know, the rabbis are like, what are you doing hanging out with those type? And what's Jesus say? He says, hey, it's not the, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, it's the sick. I, did, I didn't come for the religious people. I came for the people who are lost. And in that, Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do what you expect me to do. I'm not just, I'm here for everyone. I'm here for the lowest of the low people. I am here for the people who you think don't matter. I am here to include everyone in the kingdom of God. And don't you want to be a part of a kingdom like that? I mean, it's crazy that one of the greatest complaints about Jesus when he walked the earth was that he wasn't religious enough. That he didn't follow the religious rules. And Jesus says, everybody has access. Everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. And he says, it doesn't matter if you're a white collar, blue collar, you have no collar. Doesn't matter what tax bracket you're in. Doesn't matter if you're a tax collector. Doesn't matter how you dress. He says, you are welcome here. Now, so he says, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Then he goes on and he says, there is neither male nor female. And this one can get pretty controversial. Okay, this one, especially in our culture today, this kind of can be a hot button item, but, but let, me, let me just share this, okay? And let me be clear here. This does not mean that gender no longer matters or that it's up for grabs, okay? That's not what this means. God clearly created people with specific gender. That's what he did. And there are very, very special and unique, wonderful things about each gender that absolutely should be celebrated. Because when God created that way, he said, that is really good, right? He said, this is what I want. And I want them to need each other. I want them to have to have each other, right, to be complete. That's what, that was part of his plan, and we live in a world that just fights against that and just pushes back against all of that and pushes back against God's incredible creation. What it does mean is this, okay? And there was a, a, a pastor friend um, who, who uh, I heard say this, I thought it was really good. It says, gender is no longer relevant to one's redemptive identity, Okay? It is no longer, deter, no longer determines your value in the kingdom of God. In the Jewish nation, before the temple veil was ripped in half, it mattered, right? I mean, the Jewish men thought that they were the ones who were privileged with this relationship with God, that their wives and the women just were kind of along for the ride, that they were more of like possessions than anything else. That's kind of the way it worked. I mean, think about it. In the Old Testament, I mean, what was the sign of the covenant? Circumcision. Who gets that, right? We're not going to go into the whole lesson of that this morning, but, right? And I got, it was fun. I got to share this with somebody just this week. We were having this discussion. And then we said, you know, that was the sign of the Old Covenant, but then God, God, God changed it all under Jesus. 
And what Jesus said, he, he just told us in the, in the verse in Galatians that in Christ we are all one. All of us who were baptized into Christ, baptism becomes the new kind of sign of the new covenant. And everyone can get wet. Right? So he says, hey, this is for everybody. Everybody's included. Everyone can come in. Gender no longer overqualifies or disqualifies. It's not the issue here. Now he says, hey, there are incredibly special things about you. I am so glad that you ladies can have babies and that I can't. Okay? I have seen how that all works. Praise the Lord for you guys, say, or for you ladies. I mean, Jesus, in his incredible ministry, okay, Jesus elevated and included women in his ministry that was so rare and so unique to the culture of that day. There's one spot in John chapter 4 where Jesus comes and the disciples, they were out, you know, getting something to eat, and Jesus talking to the woman in the well, and there's actually this little side comment that like, the disciples are like, What's it? it's just like at the tax collectors, they're like, what's Jesus doing talking to the woman over there, right? They're like, they were just shocked that Jesus would even do this. But Jesus had this incredible way of inclusion where he says, hey, 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 no, no, no. All have been created in the image of God. All have value. Everyone is included. Everyone is invited. And what's amazing, folks, is this, that all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, all of us who have placed our faith in him, Every single person, no matter male or female, every single one of us have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it is not by gender or any other thing that he picks what gifts get given. Every, I mean, go read your New Testament. Okay, God, it says the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he will, as he chooses, right? And he, just, and, and he doesn't go down and he doesn't have a special list for the guys and a special list for the guys. No, he just goes, every single one of us get the gift of God's Holy Spirit for him to use however he wants to. And folks, we need to recognize that. It has been obvious in our society that our society gets this wrong. I mean, it is so crazy in our, what our society has done with this. I mean, it is obvious that we live in a society that has been guilty of objectifying and degrading women. And that is something that has no place in the kingdom of God. I mean, in any way, shape, or form, that that is not to be part of the kingdom. In 1 Timothy 5, 2, it says this. It tells us to treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And the way that we need to act together needs to be impurity and with respect and all of those things. You know why? Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's how that passage in Galatians ends up. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And you know what? We need to pay very, very close attention. Because you know what? Here's the crazy thing. You see all this blowing up all over the place in our culture. And somehow we, we expect or anticipate that somehow that the government or the laws that we make and all this stuff is going to rectify the problem. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the government will never come up with the right solution for any of this. They won't. You know why? 
They don't have the kingdom ethic. They don't have the Holy Spirit, right? They can't do it as hard as they try. They will try to legislate it. They will try to manipulate it. And we as human beings at the government level will screw this up every single time. Just when you think that they're trying to do something right, I'm telling you, it'll get messed up. The only place that this works the way that it's supposed to is inside the kingdom of God. That's it. He's the only one who can do this. And folks, if we as the church pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here, then inside the church, this should be the place where we show the world how to get it right. This should be the place where we, with open arms, include one another. Where we together can say, you know what? Everyone's welcome. Everyone comes in. We're all sinners who've been saved by the same grace and the same blood of Jesus. And we need to be the place that shows the world how to do this because they will never figure this out. We cannot rely on them. We have to be the ones that show them how this, how this works. So we need to be people who recognize that we are all one in Christ. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, one of our main jobs is to eliminate exclusion. Okay? We need to eliminate exclusion. And, and I know that we're like... And, and, you know, trust me, I mean, we have, we have a great church family. People tell me how welcoming it is and everything else. But I do know that people feel excluded at times in different ways in different places. And we need to figure that out. And then we need to work together to eliminate exclusion in any way, shape, or form. I, I was reading a book that um, a, a popular pastor these days, a guy named Craig Grishel, um, wrote this book. And he, he writes a lot on church leadership and things like that. And um, he was telling a story about a time when he was ministering while he was in Bible college. And he was ministering in this really very small church. And he says, one day the church receptionist came to his office and said, I hope you preach really good today because we had someone call and ask for directions. So it sounds like we're going to have a visitor, right? So before the service, he says, I went outside to wait and to welcome people as they arrived. And that's when I saw the visitor, right? He says, the reason I knew that she was a visitor is she didn't look like anyone else. All the other members of the church were in their Sunday clothes, and this young lady looked like she had slept in the clothes that she had been wearing. It was obvious that life had been tough for her lately, and, and she slowly approached the church. Her eyes and her body language communicated that she was nervous and intimidated, and I even admired the, her courage to visit a new church by herself. I wondered what triggered her to come. Had she been abused? Was she at the end of her rope? Was she desperate? Was she just in desperate need of Christ and the love of his people to show her there's a better way? And just then, one of the greeters in front of me, he stepped in front of me as if to block her and said, Miss, here at our church, we wear our best for God. And my jaw dropped. Dropped to the sidewalk in disbelief. I thought, no, you did not just say that. But unfortunately, he had. And the young woman's eyes filled up with tears. And she dashed back to her car to make her getaway. That, my friends, better never happen here. 
And I don't expect that it will. But people, people aren't rejecting Christ as much as they're rejecting the church in the way that people of the church oftentimes act them and make them feel like they've been excluded. I've heard that there's two reasons that people haven't become a Christian. One is because they've never met a Christian. The second is because they have. And the question for us today is this. How are we going to include others? Jesus in Luke chapter 14 tells a story about how he went to a, a, a feast, a wedding feast. And uh, he, he, Jesus tells us this story and he says, hey, when you go to a, when you go to a wedding feast, don't take, the, don't take the seat of honor. We got to experience this in Cambodia. We got to be there for a wedding. And we're all kind of hanging back, kind of like, oh, we're just, you know, we'll sit wherever. But the guy, one of the Cambodian guys, man, he came and got us. He was the father of the groom, okay? And now he happens to have been an assassin turned Christian, pretty cool guy, but you don't tell the assassin no, right? So, you know, so he comes, but literally he comes and he gets us and he's like, there's, a, there's this place for you, right? And so it was amazing. We got to live this out and just, I mean, and man, they just want to take care of us. They want us in their pictures. They want us around, right? And, and you just feel... I don't know, it just feels weird, right? But Jesus in this parable, he says, don't, don't search the seat of honor. Just wait and let, let somebody give it to you. And, and he says, and then he says this in, in Luke 14, 12 to 14, he says, he, Jesus said this to his host. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. Man, when have I thought like that? What, what would happen? What would happen in, in the church? What would happen in our church if the word got out? Everybody everybody's welcome. And, and they're just not like welcome, like it's okay to come in. It's like, no, you have a place here. What if the word gets out that, you know what? Those people might do some crazy stuff, but man, their marriages are great. They treat their, their wives and their children's amazingly. There's, you know, that we respect one another in incredible ways that, that we, that everyone who's got a gift is able to use it. Well, I mean, folks, there would be no empty chairs in the place. Because people are dying for a kingdom like this. And Jesus has already said, you're all invited. So our role, our role is to invite. The king, in the kingdom of God, everyone's welcome. Our job is just to make sure that they all know it. So what are you going to do to invite people? Now, couple things you can do. These are practical, right? Because I just don't want you to go home and think about this. These are very practical things. Number one, we happen to need more greeters. How easy is that, right? We need people who will actually wel physically welcome people when they show up at church. Okay, some people out on the patio, some people even in the parking lot. We need more people, okay? We've got like... Um, Here's what ha seems to have happened, it happens a lot. Sometimes, you know, people will be welcomers and then they kind of gravitate to other parts of ministry because 
being a greeter is a great entry point ministry. So now some of them are doing other stuff and things like that. We, we, need, we need a good 20 to 30 more people on our greeting list, right? And if that's you, the little thing inside your bulletin, you just fill, put your name on there and put, I will greet, we'll contact you, okay? We, we really do need greeters, especially second service. We really need some greeters, right? So um, we, we, we just need more people to get plugged in. And everybody, if, if, you're, if you can smile, you can do this. I just read you a story about what not to do, okay? And I'm pretty sure none of you are going to do that, right? So just like, come on. We, we, just, we just need some of you to greet, right? Um, how many of you are still praying for your three at three, right? Right, you're still praying for three people at three o'clock, your arm's still going off? Good. Now here's the thing on that. Keep doing it, right? Keep doing that. Every Wednesday and every Friday, we keep praying for the names on all of these balls. We've already had people, I mean, the stories, we're not going to tell them to you all now, but we've already had incredible stories of what God's doing with that, okay? But here's the thing. Now might be the time that you start thinking about, like, you got to move it from prayer to actually inviting somebody, right? Pray that God starts to help you see opportunities. Pray that God might do something. Pray that you could invite somebody. Easter's coming up. Might be a really good time, right? In a couple weeks, we have a fiesta lunch. So just say, hey, we got these people. They make really great tacos over there. Come have tacos with me and just kind of, you know, bring them to church, have some tacos. It'd be great. Some of you, it's Mexico. Like I just said, some of you need to go. You're invited. Everybody's welcome. Okay, do something that says, okay, I'm going to take a step across that line that I might not normally. And, you know, and, and if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this morning, more than anything else you ever hear this morning, here's the thing. You are invited. And Jesus died to say, you have access. You are welcome here. And if you have made Jesus Lord of your life and you need a church where you say, yeah, I'm going to belong there and I'm going to work with these people to see the kingdom come, welcome home. And we want you to get included. And I would love to talk to you about any of that this morning as we pray. But the reason that we're all included is quite simply this. Our king left the throne. Our king died on a cross to pay the price that we could not pay so that we could have the salvation that we did not deserve. And he did that. And on the cross he said, everybody's welcome. And so this morning as you take communion, which we'll do in just a moment, I want you to think about why you are so thankful that you have been included in this. And as you take the bread that represents his broken body and the cup that represents his shed blood, would you take a minute and pause and, and just reflect on what Jesus did so that you could be included in the kingdom? And then maybe take a minute and say, Lord, how do you want me to help include others? And pray for that this morning. Because our God is amazing. And he not only has included you, he wants to use you to do a world-changing work in our world and to invite others. Because in God's kingdom, everybody's welcome. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, you're so good. We love you, Lord. We are so thankful that you, that God, you chose to give your life on our behalf to pay the price that we couldn't. Father, thank you for including us. And Father, help us to see 
Lord Jesus, that you want to now use us. And Father, help us to fling our own, our arms open wide. Help us to invite others in to experience the joy and the forgiveness and the peace and the freedom that comes with being part of your kingdom. Lord, we love you and praise you. We pray this in the powerful name of the one who saved us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.